Welcome to the 90s Kid Book Club Podcast, where we indulge in nostalgia, dust off our favorite books from growing up, and discuss how they shaped a generation. Hey, we're your hosts. I'm Monica. And I'm Amy. And we are not scholars, authors, historians. We're just two 90s kids who love talking about it with each other and now with you. So welcome to 90s Kid Book Club. Hello. How's it going this week? Good. Yeah, good. It's been... Nothing is normal ever, and it's just been another one of those weeks. Um... I I know I've shared with listeners that I'm on short-term disability leave from work, but I never really shared what was happening, and I'm doing better now and in a place that I can talk about it, but I was experiencing... So my dad's death was really traumatic for me, and as kind of a, I don't know, coping mechanism, I guess, I kind of numbed myself to it which I think is common but I had a really hard time kind of coming out of that numbness and what came along with it was um, derealization slash depersonalization disorder which I don't think many people have heard of I had only heard of it because I was in graduate school for psychology and studied the DSM I didn't know much about it when we were talking about it and when you started to describe it to me I was like oh, wait, I've had this. Yes. Like, this has happened to me 100%. Yeah. It's, yeah. So supposedly it's common for people to experience these kinds kinds of symptoms, but it's really not a disorder until it's, like, distressing and debilitating in some way, and mine definitely was. But lots of people experience it just in their regular lives, but it's also not uncommon for people who experience trauma. And basically what has been happening, I... um. I took some notes on what the, like, DSM specifies it as because it's just wild and... Let's hear it. Um, so depersonalization... There's two aspects. One's depersonalization, which is not feeling like yourself. Um, so you get kind of a a feeling like things are really unstable or unreal or that you are absent from what you're experiencing it's kind of being a pushed away feeling you have some weird like senses of time and space it comes with emotional and physical numbing and almost like you're you've stepped outside of yourself and you're watching yourself in a movie that happened a bit to me what was more distressing was the derealization aspect so this is more of um feeling like the world that you live in is not real and i had some wild thoughts like we were living in a simulation and that my daughter lily wasn't even real and maybe she was some figment of my imagination that was here to help me process what i was going through like just very odd almost psychotic sounding symptoms of like the world is not the world anymore and I'm the only one who understands the real world and everyone else is placating me and just going along and trying to make me accept the world that is what I thought it was and it's not. I can tell you Monica this week I felt like I was in a glitch in the matrix. Oh no. For a certain point like 
I, I can't even remember exactly what made me think this, but there, it was just, I, it was, it was a very high stress week. Um, I was dealing with some things at work that I've never dealt with before that I never wanted to deal with before. Um, still don't want to ever deal with these things. <laughs> and, uh, um, I felt like this is what it was. So every time I went to go do this thing at work, something else would come up and it would push it off and push it off and push it off. And it ended up being like 14 business days Whoa. of this thing getting pushed off. Oh my God. And I started to feel like I was just trapped in this matrix of like, it's never going to end. Yeah. Yes. I can totally relate to this. And it happens out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's not, and it, you would think like, oh, I can just ground myself and bring myself back to reality. And it's like, no. It's so much more difficult than that. Yeah. 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 And when you're at a point where it's like, if anyone's trying to help me, it's only because they're trying to get me to believe in a world that's not real. And like, almost like Truman Show, like everyone is against me and I'm discovering this thing about reality that either no one else understands or they're actively trying to push against me. That's terrifying. Like, you don't even want help at that point. Like, I had thoughts about, well, I know my therapist is going to tell me that this is okay and this is normal, but it's just because she's in on it. It's like almost paranoia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I am happy (laughs) to share that that has passed. And I think it truly was just kind of a trauma response of like, none of it felt real. And I really had to push a lot of it down to even get through his illness and passing and everything I had to do following it. So, I mean, it suited me well at the time, but thank goodness I'm moving past it now. And what's wild is I'm actually experiencing grief now. And part of that derealization, depersonalization really does kind of protect you from the realism of what you're dealing with. And now I don't have that buffer anymore. So I am truly experiencing it. And maybe that's why it happened. Yeah. Your mind and body wasn't ready. Exactly. And then now... You are. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm in a place where I'm actually grieving now. And before I thought I was, but I wasn't. It was a lot of just dealing with these more distressing symptoms. But grief is so complicated, too. Like we talk about the six stages of grief. I mean, those that's just a range of emotions I go through on a daily basis, I feel like, when I don't get my way. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. But grief is so much more complicated than that. Like, Mm -hmm. we've touched on before that it kind of hits you when you least expect it. Mm -hmm. It's like you think you're past something and then it hits you. Yeah. You know, it's like loss is is a lifelong emotion, feeling, event. It's not... Which goes back to kind of how we've talked about previously on the pod that I just feel like death should be talked about more. I know. It should be something that we normalize. And I'm happy that we're able to kind of be a part of that movement, so to speak. Well, and I would have never, I would have never talked about death and dying and grieving on this podcast as much if, unless this had happened to me, but now it's happened and it's like, oh yeah, this is normal and everyone goes through it. And why don't we talk about it? And I'm not well. And like for, I don't know, a month, six weeks after my dad died, I was just telling everyone I interacted with my dad died because it was like, you need to understand where I yeah, am. Yeah, I'm not okay. Don't <laughs> ask me if I'm, I'm okay. not okay. Don't ask me how my day was. Don't tell me have a great day. Like it's not going to happen. My dad just died. And now I'm three months out and in a slightly different place where it's like the people closest to me kind of know what I'm going through and that I'm having a hard time, but not every check her person and like 
medical professional I see. Like, no, they don't need to know. <laughs> yeah, that my paranoid mind is like, if something like that happens, I can't tell the medical professionals who knows what they're going to give me and, and put me through. And, you know, yeah. with my history through crisis, like, I'm always like, they're going to lock me up. Mm. I'm going to be locked up. <laughs> Thank goodness I have the best therapist imaginable. I was actually talking to <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine who we share the same therapist um about how amazing she is and we were just gushing and like she's just so amazing <laughs> and we love her so much and we were like we definitely love her. Do you think that she loves us <laughs> like do you think <laughs> is it a reciprocal is that, relationship i know it's not supposed <laughs> to be necessarily because like therapy like by definition it's like a one-way thing but like after working with someone for years oh you have i can to tell have you. some like fondness. oh you do you do as a therapist who practiced an outpatient and had clients that were very regular clients and stuck around and came back and wanted to work on themselves and were motivated. Absolutely. It's a reciprocal relationship. Yeah. Like you can't as a therapist, if you truly believe your client is a bad person, so to speak, which is also difficult because therapists look at things from all different angles. We understand that negative behaviors happen out of positive decisions. You thought you were doing something good. You know, mm -hmm. every decision is kind of loaded in that way. But yeah. The, the relationship is 100% reciprocal. I think it would be really difficult to keep a client that True. you view negatively. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, what benefit are you as a therapist if right. you have a client that you feel that way about? Yeah. And not like, saying don't it's have bad because you're human yeah. too. You're going to not like people. That will happen. Um, but don't continue to take their money. Yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah. True. That's true. Yeah. So basically, we ended the conversation being like, she may not love all of her clients, but I know she loves us. So <laughs> we got that going. We're the for chosen us. ones. Yeah, she's got to love us. I mean, look at us. <laughs> you go through her notes, and she's just like these batshit women. <laughs> just playing. So, anyways, I bring all of this up to share on the pod that just the other day I quit my job. So and I said congratulations. Yeah, that was my first response. I was I like, know. "Oh, I know this is Thank gonna be goodness. mixed emotion," yeah. but I was like, "Fucking congratulations!" Like, Thanks. as somebody who wants so badly to make that leap and get the hell out of corporate America, I'm just like, "Fuck yeah, Monica!" Yeah, fuck yeah. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really need people to like believe in me and trust in what I'm doing right now because I quit my job in order to open my own business. I'm going to. The plan is to open a small independent bookstore in my area. We have y'all hear that, listeners? Y'all hear that? Bookstore? A bookstore? Oh my gosh, that's so surprising! I right? mean, well, and also, <laughs> also, I mean, to all our listeners, we got a new bookstore we can hit up. Oh yeah! I mean, maybe we could do a discount for book club. Oh numbers. my gosh! Yeah, like you part of ninety. Yeah, you're, you're part of ninety days. You know, ninety. You're a nineties kids kid. book club. Yeah, <laughs> you're part of ninety day fiance. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the goal. And I um, am in the beginning stages. I'm still looking for a space, but I've registered the business. I have a EIN number, whatever federal number you need oh, to dang. do business. That's like, yeah, that's like the tax. The yeah, tax I have ID a tax number. number. Ooh, I have an LLC. I have in mind where I will be purchasing all of my inventory, although I'm not quite ready to buy yet. I'm looking at spaces to rent, the physical space. 
for the bookstore. So it's happening. And it has made me realize, I mean, the past few months has really turned my entire world and understanding of myself and the world I live in upside down. But um, it's just made me realize I don't have a I don't have an energy problem. And for years, I've been saying, I'm so tired. I have no energy. I always feel drained. I did have um, Lyme disease years ago. And I've just been blaming it on that of like, oh, I just can't get past this, which is possible. I mean, those symptoms can last like a decade. But still, um, I don't have and an energy had problem. Then we yeah, had COVID come true. through and that definitely wrecks things. I think it's super interesting that you bring this up, that you don't have an energy problem because I saw a video on TikTok. Now that we're on TikTok, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm in now. I, I see know. all the videos. I'm I feel just the like, same way about I'm Instagram. Now, and You're I on TikTok social. and I'm on Instagram all the time. And I hate social media. Um, Both of us do. I still get my in- Instagram fill from more plants, less people, but... Uh, for TikTok, there was a video I saw recently, and it was a woman who was about our age. I think she was like 35-ish, and she had just gone to the doctor, and she was telling her doctor she had had a baby. You know, the baby's now like two or three, and she's just telling the doctor, you know, I'm working, I have this kid, I have my husband, I feel exhausted all the time. She also had ADHD. She's like the, you know, I, I don't know what to do. And the doctor just stopped her and said, I have all these women come in here and tell and complain of one thing. And it's exhaustion. Yeah. And she said, the problem is not that you have a lack of energy. Yeah. The problem is that you are not expected to do all of these things. Yeah. No one is expected to carry what we put on our plate every single day. Yeah. No one is expected to carry that. But for whatever reason, we think that's okay. We think to pile on our plate that that's normal. That if we achieve more and we achieve more, that that's better. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. It's not. We have to redefine our level of success. We have to Absolutely. redefine what that means. Yeah. And what it means for me and what it means for you is totally different. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It means we both are succeeding. You well, know? If, you're <laughs> putting, if you're putting, if you're putting your time and energy in something that's not fulfilling or like filling you back up in any way, you're going to feel exhausted. And if I'm in a job that's just not right for me and it's not a bad job, it wasn't bad people, it just was not right for me, that's not going to add anything to the pot. It's just going to continue to drain me. It's about being mindful of where your energy is being spent and Absolutely. what's draining and what's building. Yeah. You know, like what is adding to you and what's taking away totally can relate to that and someone gave me some advice that was when you start your own business like yeah you do more work and people are like oh i traded a nine to five job for a 24 7 job but it does not feel like work it's and it so doesn't drain you in the same way it's, it's so a passion it's an and interest. it's for me everything i'm doing is for me yeah I, and i would argue that it's also about other people not just yourself because you've you know, we've talked a lot about how community is so important to you and making sure that you're helping other people and yeah. that you're doing something to help people. And it doesn't have to be something big, you know, like like owning a soup kitchen. It doesn't have to be yeah. something like that. It's books are so amazing in so many different Meaningful ways. And, and impactful. Yeah, my dad and I had yeah. a two hour conversation yesterday about the importance of books. Like, it was insane. It was absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I agree. It's the the bookstore I plan to open will be uh, new and used books. So used books because 
like there's so many out there it's like adopt a dog adopt don't shop a dog like there's so many books out there why are we continuing to just like pump yes. out more and like what's happening to the old books it's just better for the environment in there's the vintage books that we can in the garden get. community there's this huge push for go to your local bookstore i mean there's a huge push with reusing and recycling everything within the gardening community but one thing that they regularly talk about when gardeners come out with a new book, they'll be like, get it at your local bookstore. Yeah. Don't get it off Amazon. Right. Don't get it, you know, which I'm right. also guilty of. I know. But go and get it from your local bookstore. Support your community. Yeah. And I, I am partial to an ebook, so don't get me wrong. Like, I understand that Same. ebooks are huge right now and people love it and it's easy and at two in the morning when I'm having some insomnia I can just open an ebook like it's no big deal like I get that and how easy Amazon makes it but there is also a huge push for people to have the experience of going to a brick and mortar store looking around perusing and finding something physical that you can take it's with a treasure you. hunt yes you don't know what you're going to find yeah. when you go into a bookstore. And I always, you know, gravitate towards certain sections first. So like I'll go to the section that mm -hmm. I know that I'm really going to like, which is usually like murder, mystery, thriller. And then I will end up over in like the music section, the psych section, the home and garden section. And then, and then I go to the other sections that are like ones that I might not normally be interested in, but it expands my horizon. Yeah. It makes me, you know, it's... I, of course, certain days I'm going to be more open to something new than others, but bookstores always get you in that mood. It's like, what am I going to find? Well, and you, you think about the fact that Amazon uses algorithms, and that's great if you read horror and only horror and you want mostly horror, you know, but right. that doesn't – when there's an algorithm, it already limits what you're seeing. So you have to actively seek it out. And if you don't know what you don't know, like, how do you seek it out? How do you be like, oh, I want that's a good the point. next big book in this category. But you, you, it's just it makes it harder online because you're limiting based on the algorithm what you're seeing. Where in a bookstore, you do have that luxury of just like walking around and seeing what's there. Absolutely. I On that note, I was watching the news yesterday and there was a segment on the news that was about how the Georgia public school systems now want to rate literature, like how they rate movies. What like, the fuck? so you would do G rated books, you do PG rated books, you do PG 13 rated books, and what? R rated books. I wanted to hear your thoughts on it, though I think I know them now. <laughs> I was pissed, dude. This is why me and my dad were on the phone for two yeah, hours talking I about books like yesterday. Yeah, I don't like that. And what They've my... already got age ranges on them. And I'm sorry, but I feel just me personally, that books are the last piece of media that we have that aren't really censored. Yes. That's why I'm so against banning books. That's yes. why I'm so against banning words. That's why I'm so against rating books. Like, and it, 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 we'll talk about this again at the end of this pod, at the end of this episode, because I want us to think about how we would rate the book that we'll be covering Ooh, today. Okay. Because we would rate it one way. I know. Somebody else is going to rate it another way. Yeah. And all we're doing is censoring children. We're censoring yeah. them from anything that is not ordinary, quote unquote, life, which I would argue nowadays, anything that is labeled normal or ordinary is is not. There, it, We are way too diverse for that shit now. Yeah, there is no, quote unquote, Kind of like how we talked about family sitcoms. Like there's no, fan. you know what I mean? Like there's no mold anymore. We're totally diverse. 
Um, so yeah. yeah, that pissed me off. I'm happy we're on yeah. the same page. Yeah, no, totally. Mm-hmm. I, so I guess I see both sides where it's like for ease, um, use the same rating system, but I don't think that that rating system is intricate and detailed enough to really cover because what what goes into enjoying a book is the themes the content the reading level the appropriateness like there's so many other things that go into it then we've talked about how we read books when we were kids like perks of being a wallflower that is loaded with traumatic material we didn't pick up on those themes right. when we first read it as kids. Or just doesn't why are land we censoring the same way? these? Yeah. Kids? Why are we doing this? Well, in every book on our list so far, I feel like we've been like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we read this as a kid. Like it, it is more advanced than now as an adult. What we but feel it like we could have handled. To those but things. Yeah. But your brain as a it. child doesn't interpret it the way that you would as an adult. Like yeah. kind of like what you were saying. Yeah. Like when you think of, I mean, I'm just gonna trigger warning. I'm just gonna throw out an example. But like if you're talking about rape or something like that, when I was a child and I thought about situations like that, it was not nearly as vulnerable as when I think about those situations as an adult. Yeah. You know, when you're a kid, you still have that illusion of safety, hopefully. Yeah. You know, and (laughs) as an adult, that's kind of stripped of you. It's something that could happen to someone else, but you don't have that like, oh, that could happen to me thing. Exactly. And that carries even into like teen. You think you're invincible, mm-hmm. teen and young adult. It's like you can read about stuff and be like, oh, yeah, it sucks for them. But st- it still doesn't totally hit home until you have that complete brain growth and <laughs> empathy. Absolutely. And that, you know, just the life experience to back up all those heavy topics. Yeah. You don't really yeah. understand those things. And the impact it, it has had on you if something happened like that to you or to a friend or... Yeah, it's, yeah, Mm -hmm. so. Well, we'll come back to this. Okay. (laughs) I do have, we have a little bit of 90s related news we want to share, and then we'll dive into our our book for the week. Um, So on our news topic, I never look at the news, you guys. I, that, talking about censorship, I censor myself from the news. (laughs) (laughs) I can't freaking stand it. It's just such a way to, I do have anxiety, and so somebody having anxiety and watching the news, like, it's a bad idea, just a bad idea. So I was watching the news, and they they announced something that I thought was very exciting for, quote-unquote, our generation. Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis are coming back for Freaky Friday 2. So they are doing a sequel, which I know they already did a sequel of Freaky Friday, but it did was they? not with Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis. Did they? Yeah, it was like one of those cheap Disney oh. sequels. Oh. Yeah. And I, I guarantee you it bombed in the box office, which is probably why you don't remember it. Yeah. But yeah, I do yeah, remember probably. something. I, they might have even just called it Freaky Friday. So this is the a sequel. sequel with the same people, people same character. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and on that note, they're doing another Mean Girls. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they keep saying it's yes. not your mom's Mean Girls. Oh and I'm like, what the fuck, you guys? It's not your mom's. We're not that old. Like, oh that movie gosh. is not that old. I'm sorry. I don't care. It's not that old. So, first of all, there's no new ideas, and here we are just repeating shit again. But I am very excited about those possibilities. I hadn't heard of the Freaky Friday remake. I had no idea that Mean Girls was happening until literally just this morning. I saw an article, I guess, the girl who's, oh, you know what? No, I take that back. I think it's Mean Girls the Musical. 
not you're right. the movie. There you're right. No, 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 no. no. Right? It, there's a there's a Mean Girls musical, and this movie that they're doing is based off the musical, okay, not okay, based okay. off of the original movie. Good point. I did read that. Yes, I forgot about that. So apparently the girl who plays Regina George was getting shit because she's quote-unquote curvy. I saw a picture of her. She's tiny. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, can we just like stop talking about stop? women's fucking bodies? Can we stop? I loved when Jonah Hill came out, even though he's super fucked up now too. I've heard some rumors about some really bad allegations, but um, <laughs> Jonah Hill, I loved when he came out and he lost all that weight and he was like, shut up. Like, stop talking Don't about talk it. about my body. Yeah. Like, it's none of your fucking business. It's Ugh. none of your business. Yeah. It's none of your business. Yeah. I hate that. I hate that. Yeah, so... So she's curvy. So she's she, not... Quote unquote. She's not... Uh, what was the girl? The original... Uh, Rachel McAdams? No, the original uh, skinny model, Twiggy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she's no Twiggy. That's what that tells us. Bullshit. It's so concerning Bullshit. to look back in the past. Um, like, uh, what's that movie? The Christmas movie? H- home... Mm. Oh, God. White Christmas? With the two women, they dance, and the, I think it's called White Christmas. Mm. But one of them is anorexic, and it's so concerning to look back at media from like I don't know, I think that was like the fifties or sixties, or even like Twiggy, and be like, oh, they were absolutely disordered in their eating. I don't want to diagnose, but like there is something wrong there, and we just didn't have the language to talk well, about it. We didn't think that it was abnormal. And then how uh, how we're talking about the media just recycles things. That is something that is continuously recycled throughout the modeling industry. We bounce around. We you know it was like in the fifties and sixties, you know Twiggy, and then it kind of came out of that for a little while. We cycled back into that into the nineties when like we had heroin the, the heroin grunge look. Yeah. yeah, what's chic about heroin? Sorry, that's it's fucked up. It's called heroin. That's chic. so fucked up. And then we we went into this ab- totally abnormal idea of hourglass figure, like big boobs, big yeah, ass, where people like are getting shaped butts yeah. and BBLs. And then now we're back to the skinny thing. Like Kim Kardashian is uh, dissolving all of her. Uh, but in no like way. her butt injections and yes no. people are dissolving their lip injections now it's going back to the twiggy like era it is it is oh it is. great i will and, never and with ozempic that. ozempic's big thing yeah, you know it's true. no it's huge now it's ba- it's going back to it mm-hmm. and it's so alarming it's so alarming yeah all i can hope is that by the time my kids actually like at an age to kind of internalize that stuff we've circled back to like big bodies are okay it's okay no matter what shape you are <laughs> we're like 20 minutes in should we get to the book we should okay let's do it let's, let's do, do it. it so um this week we're covering a series of unfortunate events specifically we read the first book in the 13 book series of a series of unfortunate events, and it was called A Bad Beginning. It is written by Lemony Snicket, illustrated by Brett Helquist. And Lemony Snicket is a character in the book, but also the author of the book, and is a pen name for Daniel Handler. So the actual author is Daniel Handler, and he first started using this handle um because he was researching his very first book called the basic eight and he was requesting some material that he thought like i don't want my name associated with this it was just research for the book but it was stuff that like oh i don't want that 
coming to me at my house with my name kind of thing. So they asked, like, what, what's your name? And he said, uh, Lemony Snicket. <laughs> and he was expecting them to be like, no, really, what's your name? And they were <laughs> just, just like, like, yeah, what's we'll Yeah, it. they were like, uh, is that spelled the way it sounds? He was like, yep. <laughs> and then from then on, it was his How pseudonym. How would you have spelled that? <laughs> how would you have spelled that? And then you're, like, referencing back to the interview of, like, how did they spell it? How do I spell my name? <laughs> Yeah, so um, he has published quite a few books in this world, in this series, um, under Lemony Snicket, but he's also published under his real name of Daniel Handler. At the end of the book, they had an interview with him, and he was they were cool. they were interviewing Daniel Handler, mm-hmm. and he was trying to act like he was the associate or like assistant. For Lemony Snicket. Oh so it was such a kid-friendly, you know, type of interview. Cute. Um, but it was very interesting because he was, in the beginning of the interview, he was trying to play it like they're not the same people. Yeah. And then at, by the end of the interview, you figure out that they're the same people. Yeah. But in that interview, he mentions that one of the authors that greatly influenced his writing style was Roald Dahl. No and I freaking thought that way. was so fucking interesting because... So many people have said that. Well, be, when I was reading the book, I was like, this reminds me of Roald Dahl. Like, mm-hmm. just the... the Roald Dahl and Lemony Snicket have a way of storytelling that involves out-of-the-ordinary situations. It does, And they never talk about the perfect child. They never talk about the family that is, you know, has both parents and everything is normal and everything's fine. They always find a way to tell their story about children that are in what I would consider today more normal situations. But back in the 90s when these books were written, that was not the version of the family unit they were trying to portray regularly in the media. There's also a lot of absurdity and like nonsense that happens yes and the words and the the coughing of the of characters yeah like like mr poe but no one really (laughs) acknowledges like how bizarre this world is like the acceptance of the bizarre reminds me a lot of doll um apparently he lists edgar Allan poe as a influence on his writing as well which you can see because these stories are kind of like uh Edgar Allan Poe-esque but also kind of like Twilight zone they're just odd situations that happen that are accepted as standard this specific book was published in 1999 um, by Scholastic Inc so we've got another book that was published by Scholastic they were ruling the gosh they really did they really did talk about the original influencer Scholastic they knew (laughs) they knew what they were doing (laughs) the original YouTube the original TikTok yeah for sure Scholastic book fair Um, And what's funny about this book is I don't know if I've read it or if it was just so pervasive in my childhood that I knew what it was about, but I knew... I also did not read... I knew... I know I didn't read it as a kid, but I was very familiar with with this book series. Well, and I I think my brother read it a lot, Uh, maybe not all 13, but he read a lot of it, and I know I saw the movie when it came out, so... I, I had an understanding of it. I kept of thinking it. of the movie because Jim Carrey 
starred yes. in it and I kept imagining his face and how they did his makeup and everything yes. whenever they brought up um what was his name in the book the the Olaf yes Olaf oh that was the other thing that drove me crazy is when they said Olaf and I was like oh frozen I'm imagining the snowman the whole me time too. me too <laughs> and I don't even have kids I shouldn't know frozen like that but Olaf like took over for a yeah, minute <laughs> it was very bizarre to hear that name over and over again um speaking of the movie Jude Law was Lemony Snicket's voice and kind of the what? narrator I in... did not know that yeah and I heard his voice as Lemony Snicket as I was reading the book so my audiobook was super animated and it it honestly like if you guys want to hear series of unfortunate events book one and you don't want to actually read it and you want to just hear it the storytelling that they did in this audiobook was phenomenal was phenomenal. it tim curry was it the one um, narrated you know what i'm gonna curry? have to look it up there, so there was an audiobook released in 2003 that was narrated by Tim Curry. I don't know if one existed between 99 and 2003 until that one came out or if that was the one. While you're looking that up, um, I told Josh when he asked kind of like what this story was he was like i never read it it wasn't my thing and i was like what do you mean it wasn't your thing it was like a fantasy supernatural sci-fi thing upon reading it it's none of those things i don't know why in my head i thought it was and told i think it's that absurd like acceptance of the absurdity that i thought like oh it's like a fantasy it's like a different world but it's it's listed as a gothic fiction absurdist fiction mystery which makes sense that both of us would like it because we prefer to read mysteries, but um, it's not listed as sci-fi, supernatural, or fantasy. When I was trying to remember like what I thought of this book as a kid or what I remembered as a kid, I I only remembered like it was a. I kept comparing it to Matilda in my head. Okay. So, and I get now that I've reread the book why I thought that. Yeah. You know, especially with his influence from Roald Dahl. But there's no magic. There's no magic. And, but it is, it does have that, you know, the, Matilda was basically an orphan. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't, she had a family that didn't care for her, but she, the whole storyline is like Matilda feels like an orphan and she feels rejected by her actual family. And there were underlying themes of that throughout this as well. Like the kids are feeling rejected by mm -hmm. Olaf and yeah. So um, the judge though, mm -hmm. in the story, what was her name? Judge, it starts with a C. What was her name? I don't The remember. judge who lived next door to yeah. Olaf. Um, I don't She was the heroine in the storyline though. Um, Basically, the, these kids, their their parents die in a in a fire, and they move in with the next, the closest living relative, which is Olaf. He's a count, and he is in theater, and he makes the kids take care of everything in the house and do all of these chores. These kids are originally from a very wealthy family, so they're not used to any of that. Um, and uh, Olaf's house is also not up to par with what these kids are used to but the next door neighbor is a judge and she has a garden and they want to play and in the garden library. and a huge library and they want to play in the library and they love this woman throughout the book you end up finding out that Olaf is planning a play he wants to get the children's inheritance the only way that 
the inheritance will be released is when one of the children becomes of age. I'm thinking 18. So when one of them turns 18, they'll get the money. And Olaf wants that money. And when he, Olaf decides to adopt these children and take them in, he's told that that money is not accessible until one of them becomes of age. So Olaf starts looking into inheritance law and he finds out that if he marries one of the children, that he will have access to the money. So he starts planning this play, quote unquote. He's telling everybody that it's a play. And in the play, he marries one of the children. And he has the judge coming who's going to be a part of the play and is going to read their vows, basically. And um, the, the judge, for whatever reason, doesn't catch on to this. Nobody catches on to this. Nobody catches on. It, I knew I knew it right away. I was like, oh, they're planning a play and there's a wedding. Oh, he's this is... And he was like, bring the real book and read from yeah, it. Read It'll be more real realistic. And she wasn't like, ding, ding, ding. That sounds weird. Right. And the kids have told everybody too. They've told, they've gone back to Mr. Poe. They've told Mr. Poe, who was the guy who originally was handling their estate um, and ended up handing the kids over to Olaf. They told Mr. Poe that Mr. O, or that Count Olaf is awful. And he's a horrible person. And he's just like, well, you know, chores aren't so bad. It's just, okay. So these kids get blown off, basically. Um, and nobody catches on to save these freaking children. Yeah. And in the end, Count Olaf gets away. Yep. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that the judge is the heroine because I would argue the only heroes in this book are the kids themselves. So true. Every so adult true. is incompetent. They do tell them flat out, like, he's planning something. He wants to get our money. He's not good to us. We're all sleeping in one bed in the attic Isn't doing that all the, the case, dishes. Though? It's like it, that resembles to me when a kid is scared. You know, I told you guys I was always scared as a kid because I watched stuff that was not appropriate for my age. And you know, I would be scared. I'd be like in my room thinking that something's there. And I'd, my dad would come in, you know, because I'd be yelling for him and he'd be like, what's going on? And I'd be like, there's a ghost in my room. And he'd be like, yeah, 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 go to bed. You know, it's like we we regularly yeah. do that. We don't We don't sit and take the time to understand what a child is trying to tell us. And we'll just blow it off because we think we know better as adults. I thought about that recently because Lily doesn't get scared often, but occasionally she will. And I'm very much like, oh, you're fine. Go back to bed. And I had like a visceral memory of that feeling when you're a child being so, so, so scared. And I realized like I need to be better about comforting her and like talking through it, not just being like, you're fine. Go to sleep because I'm frustrated. I've been trying to put her to bed forever. I don't understand why she's scared, but it doesn't change the fact that she is. And that feeling is so bad oh absolutely and <laughs> it's it's funny because I actually had this feeling last night Blaine's out of town this week and so I've been at home by myself and I went to go to sleep last night and I was turning off all the lights and I was locking all the doors and so I'm walking back to the bedroom in pitch black and I had one of those moments where it's like when you were a kid and you'd go down in the basement alone and you'd like run back up the stairs, you know, real quick to try, yeah. and, you know, try and run. <laughs> that was me going to my bedroom last night. I was like turning off all the lights and I just like bolted and I had to wait for the dogs who were just like waking up off the couch. You know, they'd been napping on the couch and I'm like, all right, let's go to bed. And then and Ruka, she's an old, old girl now. She's just taking her sweet ass time coming to the bedroom. And I'm like, the ghosts are going to get us. <laughs> come, come dogs, come. Come now! <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it that's a terrifying feeling. 
Ugh, yeah. Um, I had to stop myself last night, though, and be like, you are a grown adult. There is nothing in this house. You have every stone imaginable. You have blessed this property so many times. You are fucking fine. So I went back to bed and went to my TikTok videos. And that's been a bad thing, too, before bed. Yeah, don't do that. There's this new thing called Susie Stitch. And it's a, a stitched video, basically, of this girl who's, like, cooking something. And she's like... I know this is crazy, but I've never liked store-bought pesto. And then these people come in and they stitch their video on there and they talk about, oh, it's so crazy. You don't like store-bought pesto. Let me tell you my trauma story. And then they tell a legitimate trauma story from their life. And it, I've been down this rabbit hole. Some of them are scary. Like there's people telling their paranormal story, but I don't know Ooh. that's the story they're about to get into until I'm in the video. And then it's midnight and it's black outside and I'm scared. And yeah. now I'm listening to Susie Stitch's paranormal adventures. <laughs> yeah, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Just don't. Um, I, There was a weird meta moment. Um, I, I don't know if this gets you, but it gets me every time I'm reading a book and the author has written in something about how magical reading is or how magical books are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So going back to your original comment about like how important books are, like that whole conversation, it's like obviously the people who are writing the book feel that way too because they're a author. But um, there was just a weird meta moment in here about how um, Klaus, the middle child, the boy – loves reading is super smart of course has glasses because like of course and <laughs> well and that was such a weird thing in the 90s like calling people four eyes yeah do you remember that like yeah. we were shaming people because they had glasses i yes. was the weird kid though i always wanted glasses i always wanted braces yeah so I like all the weird things i didn't worry about braces. kids avoided you know i was like oh i want all of that i want all of that still to this day don't wear glasses but i do wear blue light glasses during work and if I ever have a meeting, I'm like, oh, where are my glasses? Because I feel like I look a little older. Yeah, they're so cool. Glasses are so cool. <laughs> they're so cool. One of Lily's little... four eyes to like, yeah, give me all the glasses. I know. One of Lily's little four-year-old friends just got glasses recently, and he's so stinking cute oh in them. Those glasses that on children, mm -hmm. even when they're like babies in glasses, mm -hmm. they're so cute. So cute. I love it. The other thing I was going to mention about this book, though, um, was that they warn you in the beginning of the book, the author tells you that, like, if you're into positive stories, you probably want to read a different book. And the book, like, fakes you. Like, there's, like, a fake out halfway through. Well, not even halfway. It's, like, three quarters of the way through where they act like the story is going to end on a positive mm -hmm. note. And then Olaf goes missing. But... um I thought that was super interesting that it kind of tells you right from the bat yeah. that like, this is not going to be a good story. Yeah. And if you really, as an, I can see as a kid that you would miss a lot of the negativity of this book because it, there is like this uh, whimsical way of writing in the book. But, um, but as an adult, when you really pick apart the plot line, you're just like, holy fuck, this is awful. It's very upsetting. It is so true. It could be very triggering for some Yeah, there's yeah. some rapey vibes for sure um, in here. The whole fact that Count Olaf is going to marry a 13-year-old girl. She's 13. I think she was 14. Uh, well, either way. That Which is still gross. Yeah, still but I think okay. she was 14 and the law was if you're... Like, what are we, pilgrims? What is this? 
if like, you, when did we <laughs> well in this this book is kind of outside of time and space so we don't know what time period it's set in. good point good point we don't know what country it's set in like we don't know much about Ooh, the world speaking of that where did you put it in the like and when you were imagining it in your head were you in america i th- i think i was just in some non u.s non maybe i was getting it was the, just a place maybe i was getting the roald doll vibes but i i was in the uk like the whole time i was if like anything, oh we're in a european it, little yeah village. if anything it was more uk than yeah than u.s but it, for me it really was kind of set apart from time and space but there so going back to he tries to marry this 14 year old there was a law that if her um elder guardian guardian signed off on it then she could legally marry and since he's her guardian he can sign off and marry her now i didn't get weird rapey vibes from that surprisingly one of his (laughs) (laughs) well because you could i'm sure but i saw it as he just wants to get the money there's nothing like sexual about it right maybe i'm wrong right maybe that's what i wanted to get from it they kept calling her pretty girl but that was the yeah. his friends. True, that was so true, there was this true. one the hook like guy. hooked uh he has hooked hands. He was giving off rapey vibes. I did not like his interactions with her and he'd be like, What's a pretty girl like you doing around here? And or he like, said that so when beautiful. Count and, Olaf's done with you, you'll be mine. Yes. Yeah, that was gross. And he said to Count Olaf, like, I know she's yours, but like eventually she'll be mine or something like that. Just Well, disgusting. Count Olaf had said to him over the walkie talkie or whatever, she's mine. And he's like, Yes, yes, I know she's yours. Mm-hmm. And it's like, What the fuck? Yeah, like, it's yucky. It's real, real, real yucky just try not to think too hard about that i guess um but going back to the writing style it is very unique so it's informal but sophisticated it breaks the fourth wall quite often so again lemony snicket is the author but he's also like a part of the story he talks about himself he's like like it's and it's not regularly throughout the book but it is like uh what's the word like not infrequent seldom like it's seldomly like thrown in there um but he'll revert back to him and mm-hmm. talk and say i you yeah. know like talk in person i thought that was super interesting and apparently throughout the rest of the series that becomes more and more frequent and you start to figure out how he's a part of the story because he is somehow connected to it but as you mentioned there are really big words in here like there was some of my sat and graduate exam study words in here like adroit and some other okay ones. so i gotta mention this because it was something i put in my notes i put finally a book after my own heart that defines all of the big yes. words because i never know them yes. we've talked about before how this podcast has made me realize like how weak my vocabulary is this book was a definite reminder mm-hmm. of how weak my vocabulary is it starts off pretty soft so like it, it'll start defining words that you definitely know the definition too but then as it gets deeper into the book yes there are definite words where i was just like oh yeah what what are we talking about and they would define them they would say in this situation this word means blah 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 i thought that was really cool and it didn't take away from the story no not at all yeah or it'd be like he meant this figuratively he meant this literally (laughs) yes i loved that i loved that and i thought that was so beneficial for kids that are new to stories and new to book reading and like there is that transition between like kids books like a child like children's book and then you get to chapter books and then you get to this 
realm of books, which kind of opens up the entire world of literature in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. There was a really cool part where um, someone was reading something and it said he found himself reading the same sentence over and over again. He found, he himself, found himself reading, reading, reading the same <laughs> sentence over. He found himself reading the same. So it repeated the line. And you know what that reminded times. me of? Animorphs. Remember when I yes. told you I kept rereading paragraphs, like <laughs> trying to figure out what they were talking about? Wham, zam, zirl. Yes. I had no idea. <laughs> this was written three times so that you had the feeling he would have had having to go back and read it three times. It was also repeated in the book three times that he had to read it over and over again. It was just really cool. I I do like the, the writing style. And like I said, it's the absurdity to the narration, but it makes it really engrossing because there's a lot of foreshadowing there's a lot of mysteries that are posed in this book that continue throughout the entire series and i um, we only read the first book but i did some research on the the wider story of how this kind of fits in the 13 book series so apparently the remainder of the series is them going from caretaker to caretaker the reason that they went to Olaf is that it was specifically in the will that they had to go to the the a living relative who was in the city that they lived in. Yeah, the closest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not closest like in blood, like it wasn't but their closest first... in location. Yes, which which we should say to all the parents out there that li- that are listening, don't do this. No, don't absolutely do this. Not. <laughs> do not. Duh. Yeah. B- bad, bad. I don't know why they did that. So um, they go from caretaker to caretaker and basically Olaf chases them because as you mentioned, he kind of gets away at the end. So they have to fo- uh, foil Count Olaf's plans again and again and by themselves. So the adults around them are, are completely incompetent or not willing to help or don't believe them. And really for 13 whole books, it's them running from Olaf, foiling his plans. And you find out over time that Lemony Snicket has devoted his life to researching and telling the story of these children's lives because he is tied into this larger story as well. So you see at the beginning of each of these 13 books that Snicket dedicates the book to a woman named Beatrice. Yes, um, that's also talked about in the interview. They ask about her. It, the interviewer asks, like, what, uh, something about, like, what kind of, per, or, like, who is Beatrice or something like that. And uh, Daniel Holder says, you're asking the wrong question. And and poses and says something along the lines of, like, the question is, I, I can't even remember. But there was definite mystery about who this woman is. Absolutely. And even throughout the entire 13 books, there's still a lot of mysteries that remain. Not everything is solved. A lot can be assumed and then some things you just kind of never figure out, which is kind of cool. Like you don't want to hand feed everything to the audience. For sure. For sure. You have to have some type of like piecing it together yourself as a reader, which I think also influences what you pick up from a book because it's going to be based off of what you apply that to yeah what did you think was important and what yeah what comes out at you so i watched a video of someone who kind of broke down the bigger mysteries that happen we find out that beatrice is the mother to these three orphans and that lemony snicket was engaged to her loved her and had a relationship with her before she found 
the, the husband. their dad, her oh, husband, wow. and settled down and had kids. Wait, 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 wait. So then how does that make Limity Snicket? Or how does that? Wait, 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 wait. Who's who's the who's her who's her old love? Who's Lemony me? Snicket. Lemony, so the author, not Olaf. The, okay, yes, that makes sense. Yes, yes, I was thinking in my head, Olaf. Oof, no, I, don't, no, I was no, no. like, wait. I was like, but then how are they related? <laughs> I was like, this is gross. <laughs> okay, makes sense. Author, got it. So um, you find out that he was in love with their mother, and that it's kind of an honor to her to research these children and tell their story so um the parents their parents were a part of this organization called the vfd which is the volunteer fire department and it started as a noble organization intended to do good so put out fires but eventually it was split and half of the group kind of turned towards evil and actually saw that you should set fires for specific reasons and uh, that's like figuratively and literally and a major theme in the book is about morality and how it's not always black and white and so this I love that I love that group kind of split into like different views on the same thing and what what's justified violence and what's justified like quote-unquote bad actions is there ever a good reason to do something kind bad? of like what i was talking about with therapy where it's like therapists are a little more um uh forgiving well yeah. yeah and like forgiving of certain behaviors because we know that a lot of behaviors you know stem from maybe something moral or something good yeah. that also had consequences that came with that decision so that's super interesting it's like a book for for uh future therapists yeah you know and like a way of thinking or future psychologists and psychology studies that's cool yeah it's like a an intro into moral relativism and the bad characters felt like they could do bad in order for the greater good and the good side thought you should always avoid doing bad things no matter what and so they basically end up fighting they get into some huge like multi-side fight fallout and uh, Count Olaf was part of this faction and fell on the bad side which is why he has a picture of a uh, eyeball tattooed to his ankle that was the symbol of this VFD organization okay because when I was reading the first book and they kept talking about the eyeball on the door mm-hmm. and the eyeball on, tattoo on his ankle and all of that because I lived in Turkey, I kept thinking the evil eye. And I was like, is that what this is? Is this the evil eye? And these kids just aren't familiar with yeah. like Muslim, you know, beliefs and whatnot. And so I was like, oh, is that what this is? Um, so very interesting. Yeah. I thought it was really cool to think of it as the evil eye, though, because they kept thinking it was something so evil. Mm-hmm. And the meaning of that is something so positive and, re- and relinquishing evil and, re- you know, Which avoiding is- evil. I mean, that's almost exactly what it was, which was it was a a V, an F, and a D combined together to make the symbol of an I, which is the VFD, the fire department. So um, there's a really beautiful quote in here, and I think it showed up even in the series, which is that people aren't either wicked or noble. They're like chef salads with good things and bad things chopped and mixed together in a vinaigrette of confusion and conflict. I love that because it reminds me of, um, I'm somebody who always says like when I die, 
don't don't you dare get up in front of all my friends and family and lie on my name <laughs> don't you dare get up there and be like she was a ray of sunshine she loved everyone the fuck i did no don't say that and and <laughs> i'll haunt you don't do it like don't lie on my name you know i wasn't a great person but i was not a bad person yeah i give myself you know my dad always says i give myself a b plus uh. and today i'll give myself a <laughs> c plus all right <laughs> So um, eventually the parents, um, the three kids' parents kind of retired from the VFD, from the fighting between the in-groups, had their three kids, um, but someone in the schism, so someone on the bad side, burned their mansion down and killed them. They thought it was Count Olaf, but at some point in the series, they approach Count Olaf about, I think it's like as he's actively dying, and he gave an answer that was really unsure and kind of ambiguous, and so we still don't even really know who did it, but it was about this kind of faction, good versus bad, and the bad side kind of acted in that way and killed someone, or killed two people, their parents. I bet it was Hook Guy. Oh, yeah. That's my first guess. Just because he's like the guy that is willing to do anything he's for like Olaf. His henchman, yeah. yeah. And so it's like, also, who's going to accuse the guy who has no hands? For real. <laughs> I also thought that was interesting, too, because the book mentions lots of people have hooks for hands. And I was thinking, yeah, like, in your world. And I'm thinking, like, at what time frame did we have a lot of people where that was the prosthetic that we used for people that didn't have, you know, that had hand accidents or things like that? Yeah, that was like pirate times. It was a times. long time yeah, ago, very I feel long like. Time ago. I feel like. And also it made me think, like, I'm sure at the time frame when we were like putting hooks on people as their prosthetic, I'm sure we were like, oh, this is an amazing thing. A hook. It has so much utility. Like, yeah, that was And the I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, my God. That's the worst. <laughs> I mean, that's the best we could do. I mean, go us, I guess, at that time. But I was thinking about how difficult that would have been if that was your only option for a prosthetic. And it's amazing that we've come as far as we have oh, from absolutely. hook hands. Yeah. Jeez. And of course, I thought of urban legends too, where we had talked about hooks being left on doors and things like that. And mm -hmm. hooks were just a a fad, I guess. They are creepy, so. I guess that's what they're running off of. Exactly. Another example of ableism and using some sort of disability as a fear factor. Exactly. Exactly. And he had two, two hooks, not just one. Yeah, not so just one. Bizarre. We got to go over the top, you mm -hmm. know. <laughs> so in a book called The End, because ours was called The Beginning, it was the last book in the series, we learn that um, there is an island that they end up on. And Lemony Snicket's sister is on that island and gives birth to a daughter who she names Beatrice II. Violet, Klaus, and Sonny take care of that baby on the island until she's about a year old, and then they escape. And they must make it because the very last scene is Lemony Snicket with his niece in a cafe talking together. Oh, wow. So they become the adoptive, adopted parents of this baby and raise her, which is Lemony Snicket's niece. Dang. But it sounds like the kids don't escape from having to do more chores and 
They're raising this kid, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Um, so she's not that great. <laughs> in the end, he claims he still doesn't know the whereabouts of those kids, so they kind of successfully hid themselves from society towards the end of the book. But again, he does get in touch with his niece, and that's another reason why he's dedicated his life to telling their story, is not only was he in love with their mom, but they took care of his niece. Wow. Yeah. So you're um, right. These kids are heroes. They are. Yeah. They, yeah. Mm-hmm. In this book and throughout the entire series, and parents they are save failing themselves. them. I yeah. feel like that's a theme that we should hang on to from this book. Yeah. It's like, and it kind of goes back to previous topics we talked about before, where it's like, it doesn't matter if it's, if you believe it or not, it's that person's truth. You know, and these kids, this was yeah. their truth. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Right. You know, at least explore it. Don't be closed minded. Yeah. Yeah. So, which I'm guilty of. So, yeah. A a lot of the criticism for this book is that, in particular, that kids are not well taken care of and loved. And how shattering must that be for a young kid to be reading this and realizing, like, oh, I could live in a world where I'm not safe and well taken care of. Or the kids who do live in a world where they don't feel safe and taken care of may finally feel heard because the rest of the world may not understand that. Well, and I liked how they kind of, um, they, they, so they mentioned in the book, they're like, um, I'm sure you as a child have been in a situation where you wished you were being raised by someone other than who's raising you. And it was funny because I was sitting there and I was thinking about, I definitely had times like that. I definitely had times like that. Um, but I was thinking that like a normal kid in my mind, you know, using the word normal loosely, um, a normal kid would have been like, oh, my mom didn't give me that Barbie. I want to be raised by somebody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're very, um, uh, what's the word? Like elementary, um, frustrations that would cause you to think like, yo, I want to yeah. be raised by somebody else. Some you know, champagne problems. Yeah. Yeah. As long as all's, you know. I, that's what I thought the normal kid would be like. Definitely wasn't my circumstance, but. <laughs> yeah, I think that's normal, even though I loved my parents and I was happy being raised by them. There's still a curiosity of like, when you start to realize other people live their lives differently, like you have slumber parties and it's like, oh, you eat that for breakfast? Oh my gosh, you have so many siblings? <laughs> what is this? Like just realizing houses are different, families are different, parents are different, and just wondering like, what would it be like to live in this world, you know? But it, it shatters some sort of certainty in like being loved and care, cared for for children and um. I, I had this realization the other day, we were in the car and Lily looked over and some woman in the car next to her kind of like smiled and waved and she was like, oh my gosh, she smiled at me. She likes me. That woman over there, she likes me. <laughs> she likes me. And I was like, I just can't imagine, I can't, like she's so lucky and she just takes, like imagine that being how you interact with the world. It's like everywhere you go, people are just smiling at you and waving at you. She gets free shit all the time. She gets special treatment. That's super funny because I had a memory flashback this week of my mom and I would drive through the neighborhood and we would wave at anybody who was on the street, like anybody, anybody. And anybody who waved back, you know, it was always an exciting thing because not everybody would wave back. 
And I was sitting there and I was thinking about how I need to relive that with my nieces and nephews. Like next time I'm in the car with my nephew, like we'll, we'll wave and we'll count the number of people that wave back. Yeah. You know, make it educational, but Mm -hmm. also like, you know, I don't know. I just, it's funny that you bring that up because that was a thought that I had this week was like how much fun it was to like look in on people. And you think that people, when you're that young, you think people are good. Yes. You know, I've lost Because they are. Like people are so good to her. Yes. I mean, it'll be like the surliest waitress that comes up and they're like, hey, hey girl. Like them, you're you're (laughs) sitting there as the mom and you're like, yeah, I like this lady too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a criticism on that. There's obviously a criticism for the kind of suggested incest. We don't know how exactly Olaf is related to Violet, who's the 14-year-old he tries to marry. We know he's old as fuck, though, and he shouldn't be marrying a 14-year-old. And he is related in some way. So, yuck. Um, But then generally the themes of like murder, arson, greed, morality, grief, loneliness. And there's some really beautiful quotes in here about loneliness and loss because they are orphans. They do feel isolated. They feel like no one's helping them. Um, There was one quote that I love that said, it's a curious thing, the death of a loved one. We all know that our time in this world is limited and that eventually all of us will end up underneath some sheet never to wake up. And yet, it is always a surprise when it happens to someone we know. It's like walking up the stairs in your bedroom in the dark and thinking there's one more stair than there is. Your foot falls down through the air, and there's a sickly moment of dark surprise as you try and readjust the way you thought of things. There's also another one. The way sadness works is one of the strange riddles of the world. If you're stricken with a great sadness, you may feel as if you have been set aflame. Not only because of the enormous pain, but also because your sadness may spread over your life like smoke from an enormous fire. You might find it difficult to see anything but your own sadness, the way smoke can cover a landscape so that all anyone can see is black. You may find that if someone pours water all over you, you are damp and distracted, but not cured of your sadness, the way a fire department can douse a fire, but never recover what has been burnt. That's just so well written. I know. Like it, may, it, you can visualize the entire thing. You know exactly the feeling. Like that's just so well written. I know. Yeah, and it. So the second quote about sadness in general kind of reminds me of grief and loss as well, because it's like even when the fire's put out, nothing's ever the same again. Like you can't ever recover what's been burned. Right. Well, and it was like we were saying in the beginning of the pod like grief is a lifelong journey yeah but what did you think of the book as an adult looking back on like reading it now what did you think i i liked it and i love it even more now that i know the whole backstory and i'm like i kind of want to read the whole series because i think it's just one tiny sliver of this huge larger story and although each book is kind of standalone in that it's like okay now they go to this caregiver and here's how crazy that got and they're going to go to another caregiver there is this larger story that's happening kind of across all of this and hearing more about lemony snicket and what his role was and why he was doing this and i I loved it i thought it was great i agree I so as I was, you know, I've been trying to find things to listen to this week because I'm doing those painting projects. And the first, uh, the first book only took 
I think it was like three hours, maybe three hours and 10 minutes or something like that. Um, but when it was done, I immediately was like, do I want to start the second one? I know. Like, I kind of wanted to. I, I really know. did. That's why I asked you, like, wait, did you, yeah, did you only do the one, first? Because right? <laughs> I only did the first one, but yeah, you it it does suck you in and you want more. And just the, the way of writing, too. Like, I, I know that was another thing I wanted to mention is that this book was not written for a younger audience is how they worded it. But it was written for a young audience. So I'm thinking like 12, 13, something like that, but not children. Um, so with that said, how would you rate this book? With the themes and the topics that are covered in this book, if you were to write to rate this on a scale, um, what would it what would you think is appropriate? I think it was probably eight to ten years old. I would agree. I think the way that it is written is appropriate for younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think I could see someone arguing that the themes within this book are too adult. For an eight-year-old. Maybe yes. it's more of like a 10 to 12. I mean, well, I think that's it depends right on here. The kid. Right here. Yeah. This highlights the problem with rating books. Yeah. This, it, it, what I think is okay and what you think is okay are going to be two totally different things. Right. Um, it also goes back to our conversation about what responsibility do we have for sheltering children from yeah. certain topics. And honestly, I'm not sure that that is something that we should harp on so much. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't want to be exposing our children to horrific deaths like war and things like that. But we do have that online. That is something that people can find. Um, yeah, we're you know, saying but... that they can't handle lemony snickets, but they're watching the news and Thanks. everything happening in Thanks. Gaza. Like, also, like, let's talk about the Looney Tunes. Like, people are blowing <laughs> up. We're blowing people up. We're throwing them off cliffs. We're, you know, like, come on, y'all. Uh, this is it's a, seriously. I do feel that the new theme nowadays is we've gone overboard. We need to backtrack. It's becoming too much. We're seriously going to have a bunch of stuffed animals as adults at some point. And they're not going to have any idea of what's going on in the real world. If we start banning books, it's the last thing we got for them. Yeah. It's the last thing we have to expose children in a safe environment. Again, reading something is not going to hurt you. Yeah. It inoculates you to the real world yeah. horrors that will come, but in a safe way. Yeah, I agree. And I think that kids consistently, the, the message I'm getting in rereading these as an adult is that kids can handle so much more than we give them credit for and kids are able to approach these kinds of topics i mean the way that my daughter has handled my dad dying i'm just like i wish i could have more of that outlook like i they're just amazing they're resilient they're strong they're mature like we don't give kids enough credit and we think by protecting them from these things that we're doing them favors. And it's, I can tell you that there's a catch 22 to that. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like you can't win. So. Agree. Yeah. I really did enjoy this book though. I highly recommend. Me too. Um, and I'll probably be reading the others as well. And, <laughs> and if we both end up doing it, it'll be back on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We may be coming back. <laughs> Um, but there there are quite a lot of adaptations. So there's the film from 2004 that we referenced a few times. Um, but there's also a television series that came out in 2017. I do remember that. Now that I you mentioned no that. I had no recollection. I, I didn't even know that existed. 
I think they were pushing it hard. It was a big deal because Neil Patrick Harris was Olaf. I 100% remember this. A hundred percent remember this. Yep. Um, and then apparently, I remember his outfit. A hundred percent. This was a commercial. It was all over. Yep. Um, I want to say during like American Idol or something is like when mm-hmm. I would see the advertisement for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. You're bringing yeah. back memories. It had a, a couple year run, and apparently it covered most of the story, if not all of the storyline, where the film just took the first two books. So it covered the one that we read about Olaf, and then the next one's about a snake guy like so we get new evil characters yeah yeah um maybe he did the fire there's so (laughs) many that could have done it it's so many i'm sticking with hook guy (laughs) apparently in 2004 there was a video game released where players could be violet klaus and sunny which were the three kids solve problems solve puzzles fight villains and then find hidden objects is kind of the role of the game is like a platformer that Um, sounds cool yeah and then there's also in this series so there's the 13 main books but then there's also one that adds a lot more color about who lemony snicket was um called lemony snicket the unauthorized autobiography there is um, a four-part series called All the Wrong Questions and a pamphlet titled 13 Secrets You'll Wish You Never Knew About Lemony Snicket. So 13 keeps coming up. 13 yeah. books. I'm pretty sure there were 13 chapters in the first book as well. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. Other works by Snicket include The Baby in the Manger, The Composer is Dead, Horseradish, Bitter Truths You Can't Avoid, and The Laka Who Couldn't Stop Screaming. The Lump of Coal, oh sorry, and 13 Words. So yeah, there's a 13 importance happening here. Which we also know 13 is unlucky. Yeah, Like we've heard, true. you know, like hotels avoiding the 13th floor and Friday the 13th. Yeah, and you're right. So, yeah, I'm sure there's Makes something sense. there. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think that wraps it up for Lemony Snicket. Like I said, we may be coming back if we read more and <laughs> we'll have, have more, more to, to cover. <laughs> um, but I'm excited to at least read this with Lily when she gets a little bit older. Well, and we'll definitely cover um, some of the media adaptations on our Patreon for okay. this one. Sounds yeah, good. so we will be coming back. See you on Patreon. So we like to wrap up each of our episodes with a listener story or one of our own cringe stories from growing up in the 90s or early 2000s do you have anything to share so i do have one but okay. I, I want to first see do you have something prepared from a listener i found one online i don't uh-huh. know if they're a listener because it's from a buzzfeed article but it's listed as uh, attributed to anonymous so Ooh. who freaking knows who it came from but i found a good it's one <laughs> I can read it and let's see if it's a, a lived experience for okay. anyone else. Okay. So this person said, I suffered from horrible stage fright and all sophomores were required to perform a dance we choreographed ourselves in front of random teachers and faculty, which sounds like a nightmare. I dreaded this for weeks. I picked Martina McBride's This One's for the Girls 
on the performance day, I was asked if I was ready, and I nodded, knowing damn well I wasn't. I heard the song <laughs> start playing, and I forcefully retched an exorcist projectile vomited all over the stage no. and down the steps in front of me. My instructor rushed me as I slipped forward and fell down the stairs in my vomit. All performances were postponed until the following day, and I transferred out of that class. Oh my God, that's one of those moments where you're like, please take me out of school. Like, I don't want to be here yes. anymore. Yes. Oh, God. Have you ever puked in school? Um, yes, I did. And I actually remember it like yesterday because it was super traumatic. Uh, we were lining up for recess. I, would, I had not been feeling well all day. And um, we were lining up for recess, and I started, I, I knew, I was like, oh, I'm going to throw up. So I ran over to this. We had these tires that were, the tires were cut in half. And then they had the moons, you know, the crescent of the tire, which just put up like a wall. So it was like almost like a retaining wall of tires. Okay, yeah. And I ran over to those tires and puked straight up Ooh. pink. It was straight Ew. up pink because we had snack time back in back in the day. And back in the day, snack time was not a healthy snack, though they were trying to push that at some point. I had a strawberry artificial flavored fruit roll up with a strawberry <laughs> artificial high C and that was my snack and no shit I puked pink everywhere still to this day cannot have artificial strawberry yeah still I, to this day I because of that it. that was in like second grade might have been first grade but yeah, still to this I day I can't it. but that was not my cringe story <laughs> I've never puked I don't think I ever puked in elementary school but I puked on plenty of Friday college classes because of Thirsty Thursdays. Um, I'm so impressed you even made it to class because I, I always was had Friday classes. I don't know I how it too. happened. I did I too. always had Friday classes. We'd go out for Thirsty Thursday and I'd be so hungover, I would have to leave class to go throw up and then come back and At sit down At least you made it to I did. class. I, did. I was I the did. type of person that if we went out for Thirsty, Thirsty Thursday, I was in bed on Friday. I didn't even try. I was like, screw it. If it's not a test, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> like, I one time had a professor call me. Oh, yeah, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in class and uh, it was, uh, what was this class? It was a bullshit class too. It was called Love, a Seminar on Love. Yes, and it was all about fear and love. Yeah, it was all about fear and love. And it was an awful class. It was very religious based. So I didn't like it. Didn't really? jive. Yeah, it didn't jive with me. There was a lot of Christianity based in that class, 100%. Huh had to do with his definition of love, which is fine for him personally, but telling it to a whole class, I feel, is a whole different story. Anyways, so I had missed this class because I didn't want to fucking be there. And um, he called me in the middle of the class with the whole class on speakerphone and left me a voicemail. And I watched it ring Are from my kidding? bed. And I was like, I'm not answering this phone call. Why is my professor calling me? To me, still to this day, I feel it's very inappropriate. So any professors listening, like it's not cute. It's not funny. It's totally inappropriate. Kids have the right to have their personal life. Like get the fuck out of here. And this guy was just a creep. So yeah, our psych department did cross some boundaries. Um, a hundred percent. That same professor did a class called human sexuality. Mm -hmm. Had everybody go around and say the number of people they've slept with. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. Not kidding. Not kidding in the slightest. Totally inappropriate. And that's why I skipped and this a, class. A middle class white man asking that. Oh is yeah. Uh -huh. Even creepier. Yeah. I don't like it. Uh -huh. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. And so that's why she, you know, that's why Monica knows the details. But yeah, totally gross. Don't even know how we got on this topic. Um, 
Oh, but yeah, he called called me in the middle of class and told me that I was missing class and I needed to come in. And guess what, you guys? I ain't come in. <laughs> because fuck you. <laughs> but um, I am, yeah, I'm very impressed that you made it to class. Yeah. I, I remember one time for neuroscience, uh-huh. which was like a very competitive class. Oh, I was yeah. very sick. And you could only miss two classes. If you missed more than two, you got a B automatically. And yes, it was a hard class. Yes, I remember class. that. Yeah, and it was a hard class. So I knew I was going to get a B no matter what. If I got 100% attendance, I was going to get a B. And I went in one day with endometriosis symptoms. I had passed out on my bathroom floor. And you I still went in. And I still went in. Ugh. Blaine gave me a painkiller and I made it in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's something that a professor needs to know. Like this policy has created undue hardship in the lives of your students like i'm now coming when i should be in a hospital i'm now coming to your class like that's what you're you've and we've talked about the pressure that that creates as an adult we've talked about that on the pod about how we feel like we can't take time off even when we're sick yeah that's what that creates started it's not it's not just in your fucking classroom yeah it creates it throughout the it's a trickle effect to the rest of society right. and then no shit we all got anxiety and depression right now yeah no fucking shit yeah true i'm sorry true. i'm on a soapbox today <laughs> but fuck this shit <laughs> oh gosh well submit your cringe 90s or early 2000s whatever story to us um at night don't let kids. us be embarrassed alone yes <laughs> so email it to us at 90skidbookclub at gmail.com or reach out on any of our socials. We're on Instagram, TikTok, threads. Um, please rate our podcast. I see we've got a few ratings that are all five stars. So let's just keep that train rolling. If you would please rate or review, rate in review, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And then as Amy mentioned, we will be covering any film or TV or sometimes even video game adaptations of our books on Patreon if you want to join that conversation. But I guess we'll see you next Tuesday. And TTYL. Bye. Bye.